In the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit. Many of you have a job, and it's possible that in your line of work, there's something that happens to you at least once a year. Raise your hand if in your vocation, you go through something otherwise known as a performance review. Anybody do that? Yeah. How many of you like those? How many of you can sympathize with the satire that performance reviews have sometimes undergone? Now that I think about it, I'm psyched to have Dr. Cox do my evaluation. It'll give me a chance to finally see what he truly thinks of me. Look, Doogie, I'm up to my cha-chas and busy work, so I'm going to go ahead and take a rain check on your report card. Just have you do it yourself. You didn't even fill out my name. Well, now, I think it's John or Jimmy or Jim or hmm. Oh, gosh, it's in the J family. But if you get in trouble, just ask the nurses for help. <laughs> Performance review. Stanley in the house, everybody. Woo! Angela, your turn. I actually look forward to performance reviews. I did the youth beauty pageant circuit, and I enjoyed that quite a bit. I really enjoy being judged. I believe I hold up very well to even severe scrutiny. Michael? Yeah? Jan's on the phone for you. Oh, Angela, you were totally satisfactory this year. It's my evaluation. Oh, great. I thought it was going to take a little longer, so the marching band won't be here until this evening. Joy, I think you'll find it's a good read. Hey, Nubi, this thing actually does matter. So tell me, were you completely honest with yourself? Yeah. Say it right into the camera there, Hotshot. Now, you can have this thing back anytime you want. You're going to have to bark like a dog, though. <laughs> I'm, I'm not, I'm not going to bark like it. It's your call. Woof. Okay, so maybe your performance review never went like that. But you understand where it's coming from, right? There's, there's all sorts of fear associated with it. There, there may be a sense of, what's the bother? And yet, some of you have been through performance reviews where it was actually a blessing to you because not only were they evaluating whether or not you fulfilled your job description, sometimes they would go so far as to kind of try to dig beneath the surface and, and try to see what's really animating all of your work, animating all of your labor. And that's, that's a healthy thing. That's a blessing. It's one thing to do your work. It's another thing to figure out what's really, what's really beneath all that you do. On a weekend in which we are standing down from our labors and taking a day to reflect upon labor, I thought it might be fitting for us to think, think about what, what does it mean to labor for the Lord? Jesus has something to say about that. He's going to give us a parable. And that parable is directed to someone in particular, and yet what is particular for the person to whom he is sharing it is universal for anybody that would follow him. And I'm going to like to argue for you, even if I speak anachronistically here, that what Jesus is doing in his parable is a performance review. And a one that we all have to submit to, and is one that's meant to free us. So we're going to listen to Jesus' parable in Matthew chapter 20. It's probably very familiar to you, but even if it isn't, I think you'll gain something important. If we're to work for the Lord, 
for the Lord, what should be true of our labor? I wonder if you might stand and hear the parable of Matthew chapter 20. We'll start in verse 1. Matthew chapter 20. For the kingdom of heaven is like a master of a house who went out early in the morning to hire laborers for his vineyard. And after agreeing with the laborers for a denarius a day, he sent them into his vineyard. And going out about the third hour, he saw others standing idle in the marketplace. And to them he said, you go into the vineyard too, and whatever is right, I will give you. So they went. Going out again about the sixth hour and the ninth hour, he did the same. And about the eleventh hour, he went out and found others standing. And he said to them, why do you stand here idle all day? And they said to him, because no one's hired us. He said to them, you go into the vineyard too. And when evening came, the owner of the vineyard said to his foreman, call the laborers and pay them their first wages, beginning with the last up to the first. And when those hired about the eleventh hour came, each of them received a denarius. Now when those hired first came, they thought they would receive more, but each of them also received a denarius. And on receiving it, they grumbled at the master of the house, saying, these last worked only one hour, and you have made them equal to us, to us who have borne the burden of the day and the scorching heat. But he replied to one of them, Friend, I'm doing you no wrong. Did you not agree with me for a denarius? Take what belongs to you and go. I choose to give to this last worker as I gave to you. Am I not allowed to do what I choose with what belongs to me? Or do you begrudge my generosity? So the last will be first, and the first last. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. You may, you may sit. This parable stands on its own merits. We could just talk about that, but if you read it in context, you realize that Jesus was not just trying to come up with some sort of nice moral maxim for anybody that would listen. He's actually speaking into a particular moment. There's context here. And if you're going to read the Bible, you better read it for context if you're going to understand any text. Because what has just happened in Matthew 19, the chapter before, is an exchange that you're also familiar with. It's an exchange between Jesus and a rich young ruler. Rich young ruler comes up. So, Lord, how do I obtain eternal life? Jesus says, I know this one. I know this one. Easy. And he rattles off several of the commandments. And the, the rich young ruler says, been there, done that, have the loincloth. Sorry. And Jesus says, sorry, um, tell you what, sell your stuff, give it to the poor, follow me. And the rich young ruler says, are those our only choices? moves on, sadly, because he had so much. At which point, up comes Peter, feeling like, uh-oh, <laughs> if he's not in, then who will be? Who then will enter the kingdom of heaven? And Jesus says, chill, Peter, it's going to be fine. With God, anything is possible. All things are possible. 
And here's where then Peter, God bless him, really shows his hand. Peter says to Jesus, See everything that we have left, what we have left behind? And then Peter, with all candor, says, What's coming our way? What's coming our way? Now stop the tape. Everybody freeze. Let's imagine the moment, the question that Jesus is just, or that rather Peter is just asking. He is saying, there's a cost. Jesus, we've, we've left a lot behind. There's been a cost to us following you. What we've had to leave behind, what we've had to undergo. And therefore, it's a, the implication of that is we, we don't fit Jesus into our life. Um, Jesus fits us into his, into his work. And, and the question is sort of a sidebar to you all. Do you, do you think that's the case? Is that true? Because for Peter to ask that question, um, look, he's wondering, what is it that we're supposed to be doing? Last week at the congregational meeting, you, you saw this slide. And it was a talking about all the ways in which we as a congregation are trying to imagine ourselves going forward, all the, all the directions that we're out to pursue. And, and if you saw the next slide, it, it told you everything in which we're talking about, the details about what it will mean to rebuild. Uh, do you realize that we all have a part in that? All of us have a part in that, that there's a cost to following him. There's an invitation, but there's a cost to it. Now, for Peter to say what he said is for Peter to say, look, Jesus, we love that we follow you. Why else would they drop everything that they had, including their nets, to go do what they want to do? But what Peter is really asking is, what's in it for us? What are we going to get out of it? And the first thing Jesus does is out to reassure Peter. He says, look, you follow me, you will reign with me. And all that you have left will be returned unto you in manifold ways that you could never dream of. And in fact, Peter, those who make their lives of first importance will discover that in the end, their lives will have been of a last importance. And those who have set aside the fixation upon their own good, their own well-being, will actually discover that they will be treated as if they had done everything for him in the first way. And Jesus is out to suggest to Peter that something is at work in him. And therefore, Jesus in real time, in real time, crafts this parable, which I'm going to argue is Jesus in real time doing a performance review of Peter. And at the same time he's doing it for Peter, he's also doing it for us. Because Peter's question reveals his motivation. It reveals in some way, his heart. And though none of us are, are in the least bit um, uncertain as to whether Jesus loves him, Jesus finds a way to do, let's look under the hood here, ha have a seat, let's do a little performance review. And so in, he tells the parable. Here's the parable. Landowner owns a vineyard. Harvest time has come. He's going to need to help clearing the field. So he stands out, and he, he goes out to the place where the day laborers are. If you go to... If you go to um, uh, let's see, where is it? The train depot down in Hendersonville near the historic 7th district. There is a spot 
where day laborers will gather. And if you need a day laborer, that's where you go and tell them what you're willing to pay them, what the job is, and they choose whether or not they're going to take that offer. That's what the day laborers are. So the landowner's there first thing in the morning, 6 a.m. Hey, I got a land to fill. I got a, I got a, I got a vineyard to cultivate. Who's in? We're in. What's the deal? I'm going to pay you the standard wage. One denarius. Who wants to go? We'll go. All right, head to the vineyard. 6 a.m., first thing, crack it on. 9 a.m. rolls around. Landowner goes back, same day labor area. See some new folks that have showed up saying, um, look, you need work? We need work. Now, he doesn't get into the details about what he's going to pay him. He just says, I'm going to do right by you. Go to my vineyard. They head off. 12 o'clock, 3 o'clock, same deal. At some point, we're going, so what? Like, is there, there that much work to do? Is there that much fruit to clear? Or is this landowner up to something else? Is something else motivating what he's out to do? 12 o'clock, 3 o'clock, same deal. Hey, you guys need work? We do. Head to my vineyard. Plot thickens. 5 p.m. rolls around. An hour an hour from the end of the way of the day, the working day. He shows up at five, and there are people still looking for work. Why are you there? And they said, um, nobody's come to hire us. Go to my vineyard. Go work for me. Friends, this guy does not have that much fruit. There is something else at work in him that he keeps going back to the depot to invite people to go work in his vineyard. Six o'clock rolls around. Quitting time has happened. It's time to pay up. Here we go. Gets his accountant. And here's where it gets weird. He tells his accountant, all right, pay him what I promised. Do me a favor. Pay the ones that showed up at five first. What? Yeah, sure enough. They show one denarius. People that show up at five, shock. Wow, really? Is this a joke? Are you going to take it? Is there a camera? Who's got the camera on me? Where's Alan Funt? No, it's yours. Go. Now, word travels fast. The people that showed up at 6 a.m., they start doing their computations. They pull out their abacus. They're going, oh, wait a minute. That, and at, how do you do an abacus? I don't know. If those guys got paid one denarius for one hour, do you, I don't even know what. I can't do multiplication. They show up, ready to be paid. Accountant says, one denarius. Thank you. Shock. What? Really? Here's the throwdown. The throwdown has begun. And the ones that show up at 6 a.m., they are saying, I'm sorry. <laughs> Surely there's been some mistake. Those dudes didn't even break a sweat. In fact, they worked in the shade. It's practically dusk. And you have, by their own words, you have made them equal to us. We bore the brunt of the day. We've been sweating all night. We've been sweating all day. Somebody's going to have to do a rub down on our muscles if we're even going to be able to move tomorrow. And you have made them equal to us. He's done with his rap. 
He's had a problem. He has a problem, but let's stop the tape for just a moment. He's not wrong. They worked the whole day, but they got paid the same as those who worked an hour. They were not paid each equally. Different, different load of work, same pay. But in that sense, they're not wrong. But here's where they are wrong. And it all comes from the lips of the landowner. He picks up the mic and says, friend, <laughs> how do I put this to you? I paid you what I promised. This was not a bait and switch. In fact, what I paid you was what you agreed to. I have not deceived you. And if I have not deceived you, I have not defrauded you. You can't accuse me of being a cheat. I paid dudes who worked for me an hour the same as I paid you who worked for a day. I paid a day's work for an hour's work. So if there's no deceit, there's no defrauding, there's no injustice here. And that's what the dudes that worked all day thought. God, or rather, the landowner is unjust. Whoops, Freudian slip. Lander's not done, though. I chose to pay you the same. And I chose to pay them the same. And that's because it's my call. What I have is what is now yours. You needed work, you got work. You needed pay, you've got pay. And therefore, he asked this first rhetorical question, wasn't it within my rights to do with what is mine? In other words, apart from him, not only did they have no pay, they would have had no work. He may do as he pleases. And at this point, we have to ask ourselves, we've got we to lift our eyes from off the page from the parable and say, what is Jesus getting at here? What's the point? Because, okay, let's, let's state the obvious first. If you think that Jesus is suggesting that this should be your business practices, if you're an employer and you hire people, no. Like, you post those terms of service on Indeed, you're going to get you a bunch of Indeed not, not, no, nice, good luck. Even though that guy up in Seattle took the pay cut and paid everybody a $70,000 base rate, and now that company's flourishing. So who knows? He's not suggesting that this is a business practice. So what is he out to? What's his point? I think the point of the parable comes down to the other rhetorical question that the landowner asks one of these guys that showed up at the crack of dawn. He says, do you begrudge my generosity? Uh, in, the, in, the literal, in the original language, the, the literal phrase there is, you're I evil because I am good. Uh, from an Old Testament Semitic point of view, if you had a good eye, it means you had a generous eye. If you had an evil eye, it means you had a stingy eye. Is, is, are, is your eye evil because I am good, he's asking me. Do you begrudge my generosity? Now, begrudge, not, not a word you and I use very often. Um, begrudge is just, do you resent me? Do you resent me for the choices that I've made? Did you, do you resent me for my generosity? And, and it's an obvious answer. I know what the guys that showed up at the same thing. Yes, we resent you. We worked a ton longer. We endured all sorts of backbreaking stuff. Yes, I resent you for that without saying it, yes. 
And here's where it comes down to the question about what's at issue here. But the dudes that showed up at six made an assumption. And this was their assumption. That everything they did was all about a matter of deserving. But what the landowner is out to correct their thinking about is this. That everything they did was really a matter of receiving. And there are two fundamental ways that you might look at the world. That this is a world that all comes down to what you deserve. Or this is a world that all comes down, most importantly, to what you receive. And the landowner is out to say, what I had was mine to give. What you have was mine to give. And therefore, it was never about deserving. It was always about receiving. The parable is doing a performance review on the dude that showed up at 6 a.m. in real time. What were you in it for? So why would Jesus tell this parable to Peter? What would be his intention in trying to get this matter across? Because when Peter says, Jesus, um, just so you know, (laughs) we've left a lot for you. What Jesus picks up in Peter is a little seed of something that he would like to get out in front of and prevent it from reaching full flower. What he wants to uproot from Peter is what anybody in Peter's position would naturally start to feel. What Peter was out to consider or to conclude that everything that he was out to do was coming down to a way of thinking about the world that meant you deserved something in return. And what Jesus says to Peter is what Jesus is saying to all his disciples. And what Jesus is saying to all his disciples is what he would say to anybody that would follow him. What is this parable out to get across to us? I think it's this. In this world, you and I have been invited to follow him. And in being invited to follow him, we've been invited to, to use the metaphor of the parable, parable, work in his field, cultivate his field, pursue his interests, make him known, show him forth, extend his love, commit ourselves to his pursuits of what is merciful and what is just. All of that is what he's up to. That's the, that's the work of the kingdom. And for those who would follow him, we are invited into that field. But here's the deal. In the midst of that work, it will come as a cost. There will be things that you will undergo. There will be ways in which you will have to deny yourself in order to pursue that. Kids, here's the thing. If you would follow Jesus, there will be some invites you should pass on. There will be some ways in which you're going to have to go, I'm not sure about that. There will be some friends who will ridicule you if you not walk away from you. And for adults, it's just the same, but oftentimes at a higher stake. There's going to be a cost. And if anybody says there is no cost, 
Well, they're out to sell you something. For Jesus to say, he who would follow me must take up his cross and follow me. That, that means you will invite upon yourself the potential of being cursed as the cross was accursed upon him. It's just the way of the land. It's the territory you occupy. And in the middle of that, in the middle of that labor, you and I will be tempted. You and I will be tempted to think, as Peter thought, as the person in the parable thought who showed up at 6 a.m., that we deserve better. We deserve better. And it is here where the rubber meets the road about what you believe. Here's your performance review in real time. Because that performance review really comes down to asking you one question. And how you answer surfaces everything. What do you believe about what Jesus' performance did for you? What do you believe about what Jesus' performance did for you? If you think Jesus was an example for you, then you will try to live your life living, trying to live up to that example. And on the days when you fail at living up to that example, you will self-flagellate yourself. You will think yourself worthless. You will hate, despise, and whatever it might be because you have thought that he was your example. He set the bar for me. I must live up to that example. And when I fail it, I must fail him. But on the days when you do it well, uh, just as you might be tempted to despise yourself on the days that you fail, you'll be tempted to think of yourself so highly Look at me. I have nailed it. I have stuck the landing. And on the days when you've done it well, but it didn't turn out so well for you, the, the payoff wasn't very good, um, you still got heaped on with a bunch of ridicule, and, and none of your plans came to fruition, what happens if you just think Jesus is your example? You will begin to resent him for what he has asked you to do. You will resent him for the invitation that he made. You will resent him for the hardship that you have followed. You will resent him for what you felt like would have been a reasonable expectation of a payoff on what investment that you made. That's if you think Jesus was only an example to you. But if you think Jesus was more than an example, if you think Jesus' performance on your behalf actually purchased something for you, if he accomplished something for you, if you believe that what he did in dying and rising forgave you of your sin, reconciled you to God, confirmed the fact that you are beloved before the Lord, provided for you an inheritance that will never fade nor rust nor can ever be taken from you, gave unto you the privilege of working in this field for all the time such that even if you die, you are his. If you believe he did all of that for you, then you will look upon the invitation to work in this field and the hardship that you have in that field and even what you may consider the modest payoff of working in that field differently. You will not think of it as a world in which you deserve something. Instead, you will think of everything as if you have received it. In a very different context, Paul would say to us in 1 Corinthians 4, what do you have that you didn't receive? And if then you received it, 
why do you boast as if you did not receive it? In other words, from the second phrase, the second rhetorical question, why do you think you deserved it? Why are you failing to see that everything that you have from his actually is something that comes to you by grace? This is our performance review, and I fail at it often. We wonder why he invited us to it. We don't like the, the experience of it a lot of times. And sometimes the, the return on whatever investment you think you have, underwhelming. But if you begin to remember that what he is for you is far more than an example, but the very source of all the good that you have, then you think differently of working in that field forever, long or short, for whatever rich or modest return of whatever it might be. David Livingstone was a missionary in the 19th century. He not only sought to proclaim the gospel, he sought to abolish the slave trade in East Africa. In one of his memoirs, which at least one of these lines is attributable to him, it's not really sure whether it's him or Hudson Taylor, but but David Livingston said this, anxiety, sickness, suffering, or danger now and then with a foregoing of the common conveniences and charities of this life may make us pause and cause the spirit to waver and the soul to sink. But let this only be for a moment. All these are nothing when compared with the glory which shall be revealed in and for us. And then he says, I never made a sacrifice. That's the test of our hearts. Was it a sacrifice? Or was it an offering of thanksgiving? We have to do this all the time. And in the days where we fail, we repent. But as surely as grace has come to us in the person of Jesus to forgive us of all, grace will come to us again when we discover that much of what was animating our efforts was really about us and very little to do with him. And we praise him for his kindness and his patience. This is our performance review. Don't be afraid. Let's pray. Father, we are, uh, we are in need of what we do not have. We want to know that there is a privilege in being invited into a work that is sometimes rather thankless. We want to live, as we've heard from others, before an audience of one, yours only. Uh, but we find ourselves living more often for anybody else that might be in front of us at the time. Or for any nameless and faceless crowds whose approval we think we need. Father, help us to believe that what we have is from you. Help us to wrestle with the plenty of moments in which it only feels like abuse or harm or ridicule. Help us to run to refuge in you for a peace that will pass understanding, even though the rest of this world is out to steal it. Help us now to believe that you are love, and in your love there is good work to be done. In Jesus' name, amen. 
sometime today, take a moment, use the Sabbath, think about his work on your behalf, and speak to him. When you work, work as though you're working for the Lord. When you rest, rest in the sovereign grace of God. And when you celebrate, celebrate as a people with the greatest reason for love, joy, and celebration. Go now in the grace of the forgiveness of our Savior, in the name of the Father and of the Son and the Holy Spirit. The limitless grace and peace of the Lord Jesus be with you in all you do. Peace be with you. Later.